What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artist of Data Science Happy Hour. It is Friday, April 1st. My gosh, I wish I had a April Fool's joke for y'all, but I don't. However, this is the 75th Happy Hour session. Yo, 75 weeks in a row without you doing this thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure Russell Willis has been here for all 75 of those, so he's been at this thing way more than I have. Uh, shout out to everybody in the building. Uh, we got Eric Sims the Fox. Champana Dali is in the building. I was in the seat, Shout out to uh, Naresh, Anthony, Russell Willis, and of course, the one and only Eric Gitanga. Eric, one of these days, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say Eric Gitanga. That is one of these days. I'm going to say something uh, that makes it your reflective Monday. It's been a while. Uh, I got to say some stuff that makes Eric Gitanga reflect. That is the goal for the next quarter, at least once, make it onto a reflective Monday. Uh, shout out to everybody joining in. Super excited to have all you guys here. Uh, had a great week of um just running around doing errands man like i was this this was the week the transition between jobs right so last friday was my last week at comet i started at pachyderm on monday april 4th so i'm looking forward to that uh so this week had an opportunity to kind of just catch up on some stuff and uh you know learn stuff and run a bunch of errands um and uh vin's gonna be taking over in a couple minutes here um so announcement is that the uh, latest episode of the podcast is released with the one and only Andrew Jones of Data Science Infinity. So definitely go ahead and check check that out. If you guys got questions, uh, drop them right here in chat. Drop them on LinkedIn. Um, hopefully somebody could funnel the questions from LinkedIn into the uh, Zoom meeting here. That would be super helpful to uh, to help our host then out. Uh, so yeah, there we go, man. I'm passing the controls over to Vin. Vin, my man, thank you so much for for doing this for uh, for hosting once again, man. I always appreciate that. I always appreciate the community coming up and helping me. I've got to take care of a sick wife and a uh, cranky baby right now, uh, so I appreciate uh, you helping out, Vin. So you guys take care. Have a good rest of the afternoon, evening, whatever. I'll be watching on YouTube. Uh, Vin, take it away, man. Good. I'd say enjoy normally, but, uh, you know, survive might be the thing. Hopefully uh, not as sick as it sounds. All right. They gave me the reins. And I've got a first question because it usually takes people five minutes to funnel in. Everybody's fashionably late. So while people are funneling in, who won April Fool's Day? What posts, what, what... Uh, you know, brand, what anything have you seen that won April Fool's Day? Because my winner is Lego. They came out with just a really short video about Lego blocks that will autonomously get out of your way so you no longer step on Lego blocks. I do not know if you've ever stepped on a Lego block, but it feels horrible. And for me, that was the winner. I, I, I don't know how you beat that. Autonomous Lego bots, it just simple, looked like fun. Anybody have any other ones while we're waiting for people to funnel in and before we get to their first real actual question? Uh, I really like Stack Overflows because you can like change their UI to like match Facebook or whatever. So that one was cool. I just saw one about uh, Twitter tweeted that they're working on an edit button. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, what else? Anybody else have one that was good that one? or at least sort of won the internet. We got a second vote for Stack Overflow. That was, yeah, definitely. Stack was a good one. All right, wow, apparently brands. Uh, you guys need to get up on that April Fool's Day. 
take this opportunity to advertise market, make yourself a little bit more fun, more enjoyable. Because it sounds like, oh, wait, we got one. Yeah, while I'm still around, uh, I was watching the, you know, watching some cartoons with, with the with the sun earlier today, and there was an ad on YouTube. So Canada has this ultra ultra cheap airline called Swoop Airlines, and Swoop Airlines had this commercial going on about how they created a uh, microwave that is going to be on the airplane. That if you want to bring on your own food, they will microwave it for you for one dollar a minute. Um, which is funny because, you know, you can't even put a microwave onto an airplane. That's uh, a safety concern. But uh, uh, just the way they, they presented the ad was super hilarious. So if you guys do get a chance to check that out, highly recommend it because it's funny from the ad. All right. Well, it looks so like nobody's even going to be fashionably late. What's going on here? Sorry, a, Eric. Go this ahead. is a goofy one. I, I just saw one from Traeger Grills. Um, they yep. said that they have the weed pellets thing. <laughs> That's a little, I mean, I guess you got to know your audience if they're going to be into it or not. So, you know, <laughs> I love, I love how, uh, I guess the t- times have changed over the years. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because uh, you, you know, we don't, not everybody here is from America. So that is a very American audience only kind of joke for, it just would not play in any other country. So, all right. Let's dive into the first question. What I want to do to get it kicked off, obviously, if you have questions, throw them into the chat. I will somehow check LinkedIn um, and multitask a little bit here. But if you've got questions, throw them over to me. But I'm going to get started with something that I've been wondering about for a while, and I've seen multiple people posting on LinkedIn about this. How do you figure out who you should be learning from? Because there is so much good content out there But the problem is there's also some really bad content where you see people who are doing educational content who they're not right. I mean, they post some stuff on a regular basis that's just not factually correct or potentially not best practices. I I see this all the time and I don't want to be the I don't want to be the person that jumps in and, you know, corrects people when they're wrong. But it, it. seems like it would be really hard to figure out if you're learning who you should be learning from what's right what's wrong so does anybody have any tips how do you look at content and say this person knows what they're talking about or maybe this person isn't somebody that i need to learn from i think i mean occasionally occasionally i see something where somebody shares like something that's not really a a best practice and try it's it's not that common which is nice for me at least uh and i just try to engage in conversation about it because you know just like with uh when we see outrageous outrageous news or you know clickbaity headlines a lot of times like if you know the fuller picture of what someone's talking about sometimes it can kind of clarify that you know maybe they're maybe the way that they were approaching it is a little different. Then, I mean, then there's the other side, then there's the other side of sometimes people just throw stuff out there that's just wrong. Uh, and so for me, for me, I think the, the biggest thing is community, like get a second opinion and, uh, being part of a real, being part of a real community because somebody who's just a talking head, like I don't, I don't know them 
I don't know them at all. And so I, they don't, they don't necessarily have my trust. And so I think that I'm, I'm generally a pretty trusting person, probably overly trusting. Um, but when it comes to just like believing everything that I read on towards data science and taking that as like the gospel or wherever, uh, and just believing that it's all right. I think it's just so important to be able to like talk about it, try it out, double check it, um, ask Russell, um, whatever to just like be able to have a discussion with real people talking about real things and figure out if it, if it actually holds water. That's like such a low tech answer. Not a bad answer. I, I can make that even more low tech if you like. Um, I, I'd equate that to just general web searching, you know, Google or your, your favorite search engine, be very careful. Um, what you wish for, you know, don't take the first things that come back in the search results, always verify and validate everything that you get. And if it, it's not in your facility to check it by other means, then forums such as this happy hours is a great place to come and speak to other people who know other bits. So, you know, just as you've done tonight, then um, throw a question out there to other people and, and check it. If you're not certain, you know, I check things every day. With uh, with as many people as uh, as I possibly can, and, and double check things that I'm very confident with with a with a web search as well. But every time you're web searching, uh, don't take that first answer that comes back. Verify and validate everything. I think that's one benefit of using something like Stack Overflow instead of LinkedIn, because for for whatever reason, you know, people are less people like to get on to LinkedIn and you know. Uh, you know, philosophize about whatever sometimes they, and it may be something that they are or are not like qualified to do. And there's like, some people will just like drop like the, I don't know, I'm kind of curious emoji on that rather than like, like blatantly like commenting, like, actually, I think that's crap. Whereas on Stack Overflow, somebody would be like, yo, that is so not true. Like you can't like, that doesn't make sense in this context, because if you have such and such a variable type, that'll break down. Like I see that all the time when I'm asking questions about SQL, where they're like, you know, the, for like 99% of the cases, this is a perfect answer. But then you've got somebody who's going to jump in with that edge case and be like, oh, well, that might give you some date time conflict in such and such a small scenario. And like, I don't have a problem seeing that. Maybe it seems like they're being a little bit of a pedantic jerk sometimes, but it could be valuable for somebody in that 1% of, you know, small, small cases. And so in that way, I think that Stack Overflow is kind of the, the higher tech or maybe Reddit, but probably more Stack Overflow. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> uh, because it seems. To, I feel like it's a nice, nice middle ground where you can have like conversation to get technical answers, but also have some discussion and also scroll through to see like, yes, this is the accepted answer, but the answer below it may actually be better or more recent, or you know, and that kind of helps me see and learn along as I go. I always worry about Reddit. I mean. Wow. Stack Overflow is mean, but Reddit's another level. All right. Anybody else want to chime in on this? Because, I mean, it's this is something that I think a lot of people that are trying to break into the field have trouble with. Is, you know, you have your standard learning path, but you have more. There, there's something else that you need. There's something else that you're missing. You're Googling things. You're listening to people who are putting out YouTube videos and there's a ton of content out there. So, I mean, Costa sent Santona, I, you know, I'm kind of throwing it out to everybody, but 
kind of want to hear what both of you have to say about it too. Yeah, um, just like uh, Russell and Eric's already said, um, I think like validating, uh, cross-checking, like looking at multiple different sources uh, definitely helps. Um, and also I think there's value in recognizing what a platform is for. Um, and then using that platform for, for that purpose, right? Um, certainly, uh, you know, if I'm uh, trying to, if I'm stuck, you know, coding something and I'm looking for an answer, I'm not going to look for it on LinkedIn, right? That's not uh, the source for that. Um, so yeah, just there are thought leaders, there are folks who are uh, building a personal brand, and I really respect that. I think that's very important. You know, self-advocacy is very important, um, but you have to recognize as a consumer of content um, is that, you know, should take everything with a grain of salt. And I think the best content creators recognize, like actually state that, like, this is my opinion. This is, you know, where this is coming from. I know this other school of thought, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I like putting the words I think in front of my posts, but it seems like people don't read those two words or sometimes or yeah, but you're right. LinkedIn, not the greatest source. I mean, from a technical learning standpoint, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn wasn't really built for that and the community doesn't really engage in that manner. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stack Overflow is totally different. Again, medium is different and there are different levels, right? Um, yeah, it's really about uh, understanding where to go for what kind of information you're looking for, right? Uh, for me, it's literally always, I'll just straight up Google it. And if I see Reddit threads come up, I'll follow them. If I see Stack Overflow follow, comes up, I'll follow it. If it's YouTube videos, sure. Um, I kind of go a bit scattergun because the things I search for can sometimes be a bit esoteric and vague. Um, so you, you sometimes have to piece together bits of information that you see in three or four different um, locations. So it's it's quite rare that you'll find, oh, this is my exact problem. Boom, done, sold. Um, so yeah, it's, it really is quite exploratory in many ways. I, I, I don't know what I've already missed from what Russell and Eric and yourself have said so far, but yeah, that'd be my very high inflation two cents on it. Uh, Joe, I want to. Uh, I'm guessing you've seen bad content, especially in your space, for you know just educating people, trying. And what I'm asking about is how do you, as somebody who's trying to break into the field who really doesn't have that frame of reference yet, to tell the difference between this is quality and this is somebody who's kind of talking past their their capabilities. How do you tell the difference? Hmm. Yeah, I thought a lot about this. I, I think I would definitely go check the person out, you know, uh, like see what they've done, um, not just on LinkedIn, but probably other places. Um, check out the content. And I would also see, like, see who's commenting on what they're uh, um, posting. And so not just likes, right? That can be gamed, but actual comments where people are giving feedback. I think that's a good one. Just I look for a cycle of longevity too, where if the person has been, I think, consistently posting good stuff, and there's probably a chance that people like it. Um, but again, there's you know, and I always try and I, I think separate. Uh, I would say actual content producers and doers versus um, what I would call like uh, what kind of thought leader uh, people. 
So there's a lot of people in the AI space that I think, I, I don't know that they know much about AI, but they um, certainly know, have a lot of opinions about the industry as a whole, I would say, or where like, or how it's going to help people like, you know, farm colonies on Mars or something like that. But in, like, you know what I'm saying? So it's, I think there's a lot of, um, but it's like any field, there's, there's a lot of yes content out there. And so um, data is attractive for a lot of reasons because, um, <clears throat> I mean, you you can definitely pull from a lot of, I, I mean, there's definitely some content people out there that are pulling from, uh, I would say like, old math papers and stats and stuff and just reposting like central limit theorem. And I think that's okay content. It's useful to some people, but I don't know. At the end of the day, I guess you gotta decide what you're looking for. So. Yeah. All right, Kosov, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna jump back on that actually. Um, so if I had to look for one thing, if I didn't know, or if I was pretty new to the field and you know, I had to, yeah, Mark, okay, this person actually knows how to implement something or knows how to fix a problem that I had is does does the source come with examples or links to examples, right? If it's not got examples, it's probably quite theoretical. And whether the person knows what they're talking about or not is irrelevant because it's difficult for you as someone who's new to the field to make that leap from the theoretical discussion to the uh, practical example, right? Um, so it might give a decent theoretical background to it, but anything with examples is probably going to be more likely to give you that technical foundation on here's an example of how it works, right? Like I found myself in that situation when I was testing logging this week, right? Most basic of seemingly the most basic of things in Python, right? Uh, I understood so much more about logging handlers and stream handlers and things like that and tied it back to like some of the file IO stuff that I've done in the past. And essentially, until I saw examples of it, I didn't quite understand why certain loggers worked in a certain way and others worked slightly differently, right? So um, examples, I guess. That's, that's actually a really good point. You see so much content out there and it's just like it's a wall of text and there's no tangible, like there's no tangible anything connected with it. I can tell you in my own writing, a lot of times I'll write my thoughts and my way of thinking and my way of doing it. And I've started realizing very recently, no, I need, you know, to start linking to three, four, five, six, sometimes different sources, different ways of thinking and doing things because there isn't just one way. So, yeah, no, that's a great point. Russell, yeah, go ahead. So just... uh adding to some of the other questions, uh, some of the other answers, sorry, uh, and picking back up on the uh, on the forum that you're looking at. Bear in mind that LinkedIn does have some great nuggets of um, valid information out there, but it's primarily a, a social media platform. People are trying to drive engagement. Uh, so you might find posts there that are, are intentionally trigger posts to, to try and just drive engagement in the knowledge that there's going to be some uh, some adjustment to the post thereafter, uh, or maybe there's a little bit of um, kind of social media A-B testing going on there, you know, where they're putting posts out to, to gauge what the response is going to be like, and they try the same post in different ways, which can put different uh, salons on it. So if it's something that's ab uh, about a particularly technical um, item, you know, you've you got to be careful. So, so again, it falls back to 
double check, double check everything that's there. Uh, maybe even look back at some of the, the same posts as other posts, not like everyone on the call here. Uh, I've looked at lots of your material, so I don't think there's anyone in here I'd, uh, I'd have trouble trusting. But you find someone new on there, even if they've got a large follower count, if you're not familiar with the stuff that they're posting, have a look around um, the other stuff that they've done. I'd probably give it a litmus test. So if, if all of us decided to write content in the field for which we were completely unfamiliar, what would that look like? So I don't know anything about plumbing or uh, electrical wiring. What would that post look like? Um, even if I like, if I watched YouTube for a day that I made posts on that, what would that look like? It'd probably suck really bad. And I'm sure an electrician or a plumber could probably tell. They'd be like, you have no clue what you're talking about. That's going to like, like burn a house down or something if you do it that way. So maybe that's a litmus test too. But if you're new to the field, you don't know. I mean, if you're a, you know, so it's 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 a constant question. I would say that that's this is also a reason why I think there's a lot of data scientists, for example, that re probably reach out to all of us asking advice. Like, so I've read a bunch of things about the field, and I'm not convinced this is the right way, or I'm horribly confused. How would you recommend uh, going about learning about this field? So data engineering is actually worse because there's like not as much content. Um, I would say the people who are putting out content are really good though. So thank you. Learned a lot about them. I wish, I wish that I would get uh, more people reaching out to me and asking questions like that. Instead, I just get people saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. Here's my resume. So, I mean, I'll take a question even. <laughs> are you hiring right now, Eric? <laughs> no, <laughs> only for my boss. <laughs> that was a nice little plug there almost. Uh, ben, I want to know. That's cool. Yeah, I want to know what you think about this because when somebody's trying to break into the field, they don't know the difference between good content and bad content. They don't know the difference between somebody to actually be able to educate them and teach them, and somebody who might be out over their skis a little bit. So, what would you say? You know, you're looking for signs that this is a good source, signs that it's a bad source. If you could add in a few, what would you see? What would you look for? What do you what do you think is a, I don't know, maybe a red flag or a green flag probably is a good way to say it for quality content. And, you know, especially for somebody that just doesn't have the context to be able to differentiate. And you have content creators who are 80% of the time awesome. And then there's that 20% of the time where they're out above and beyond where they really should be. And that question is for me. Um, oh, that's a tough question. Cause how do you know what bad looks like if you don't, if you can't distinguish the two, I think for people on this zoom, I, everyone knows I hate TensorFlow and I'm sorry. I think that's coming from TensorFlow one and I know TensorFlow two is better. Um, so do you want to go deeper on like technical stuff, like content that you would like good advice or, or maybe steer me a little bit Ben on what, what I can pull on here. No, really looking for not just technical, but uh, implementation side advice, especially because, yeah. you know, you can look at a, you know, code either works or it doesn't, you know, there's kind of a nice thing about that. The model either runs or it doesn't, but when it starts getting to more content about how do you implement, how do you get something into production? How do you make more of a reliable model? How do you, how do you debug, you know, all of those things that aren't cut and dry answers where there are degrees yeah. and great differences. Okay. No, I think that helps. I, my recommendation would be trust people who've had their asses kicked 
So people that are, you know, they're transparent, they're open about it. Um, I always like people that have worked for, you know, multiple jobs and that, that can be a red flag if they're jumping too quickly, but people that have worked for a job for a few years, gone to another one, gone to another one, they're going to have different perspectives. I think if you're following someone who's been at company A for eight years straight, then they may not have, maybe they haven't had their ass kicked or maybe they haven't bounced around. I, that's why I like changing companies, Vin, is because I I learn what good looks like. And I think I also learn what bad looks like. And I think uh, th- th- this is maybe a little bit embarrassing, but I, I didn't, I had never heard the term technical debt until I joined the hedge fund. And then we had a consultant that came and was horrified. And I, I remember them sitting me down and saying, you guys are violating every single bullet on technical debt, parallel development, urgent deadlines. Like they kind of walked me through that. And I think, um, yeah, so I, I think to over, oversimplify your question, I, I really like people that are seasoned and that are open to their mistakes. Um, but it's it's hard to know what good looks like because you have a lot of, there's a lot of buzz around some different technologies and, and behaviors that I might disagree with. And I guess in the end, it's how compelling people are with their content. And I'm coming into this conversation a little late, so I do apologize if I'm a little off topic. Oh, that's good. All right. So anybody else want to chime in on this before we head to a question about principal component analysis that was very broad. So I'm hoping we can kind of narrow it down a little bit before we dive in. Anybody else want to talk about telling the difference between good and bad content, good and bad educational? Yeah, I'll just add one thing uh, real quick. I mean, I, I broadly agree with um, everything everyone said and, and Ben as well. Uh, but I will add the the caveat that it's not um, you know, years of experience or, or title or something doesn't always translate to good content. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to pick any examples of, you know, someone with years of experience who doesn't produce good content, content but rather uh, give an example of someone who is currently an, an intern, um, data science intern, um, who produces great content. And that's uh, QN Tron, I think. Um, she posts regularly on, you know, Python, um, good good tips and advice, as well as data science. Um, I, I think she's fantastic. And so I would not discount her her work or her contributions um, in any way, shape, or form because she's an intern. You know, that's an interesting point. People that are learning as they go, you can actually learn quite a bit. And I, was, I actually said something about this last week. When, you know, if you're asking how to break into data science, why would you ask someone like me that question? How would I know? I haven't done it in a decade. And so people will ask me that question. I'll say, well, I can tell you what I look for. But no, you're right. There's There are definitely lessons that you can learn from people who just learned it or who for the first time just figured something out. And, you know, quality sources, kind of oddly enough, is one of those things. To add that to that real quick, I, I really like that comment. I One of the things I learned in my career this sounded really funny is I was working with a data scientist and they came to some conclusion and our CTO asked me to double check them. And I came to a different conclusion um, pretty quickly in, in the, the post summary is I was better Googling than they were. And so for some of these young people that are jumping in, if they're really good at Googling, they're going to be finding, well, two things they're learning it now, which is very relevant. 
And some of them could be, they're already better than most of us at Googling, finding the right stuff, drilling down, asking follow-up questions. And so I think that, I think that that's a great point that don't ignore the junior talent. Yeah, Eric, hop in. Yeah, so kind of along with the Quinn's comment, uh, and also something that Jeremy Ravenel posted on LinkedIn, just saying like, you know, everybody needs to create content because you need to make your work visible. And I recognize that not everybody needs to be like a quote unquote content creator. I don't like consider myself a content creator. I just like post stuff, but I don't have like, you know, branding and things like that, that some of you fancy folk do, which is cool. You know, I think that there's room for all of it. But the other thing is, yeah, post creator right here. Um, and that's, and it's just that like learning, learning in public is, is nice because it gives me an opportunity to like share the things that I'm interested in, because if other people are interested in it, like, how are they going to know, you know, it's not like we're all sitting in the same room and then we can talk about it. Otherwise I would never run into like any of you. Um, and so it's nice to be able to just like put something out there without feeling the pressure because I posted as a, as a learner slash adventure slash, you know, this is something cool that I've discovered rather than feeling the pressure to say like, you know, new people to data science, let me share something that you should know because I'm just not that sagely. Um, and most of the time I don't really have that much. That's going to be like a tremendously wise to share. So it like totally takes the pressure off to share occasionally as a post creator, not as a, an expert or anything like that. And it also kind of helps me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out kind of like uh, Mark Freeman talked about. Uh, I don't remember if it was here. Or it was in a post recently, but just talking about like once you get once you break in, then there's like that gap between, you know, the really advanced people the brand new people. And then there's like, I feel like I'm like kind of somewhere in between still, I feel very like newish in many ways, but like trying to like find that community. If more people are creating and sharing, even just like learnings and stuff, I feel like we can kind of like start to coalesce and segment out um, different, different groups and, and find, find people that you can, you know, agree with and stuff like that and learn from. Definitely. Good. Gina. Hi. Um, so, yeah, I think what I'm hearing from you all, <clears throat> pardon me, and this will help me in my content creation, is even if you're just putting up something um, that's, I don't know, um, <clears throat> like a function you developed for a particular problem. I mean, I guess how basic is too basic, not basic, the programming language, basic in terms of, you know, the 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 thing you're you're demonstrating like sometimes when I uh, in my data science boot camp, I'd get a hold of some data and in the EDA, I couldn't quite parse it out the way I wanted to. I wanted to be able to um, visualize it in a certain way, but it couldn't be done unless I wrote a custom function. And, you know, in the boot camp, of course, they're encouraging you to blog and, you know, it is true sometimes, well, you know, even if it seems basic, there's maybe somebody else who is trying to solve the same problem. Um, so I guess, that, but is there ever a time when it can hurt you if 
you're saying, you know, maybe your skills have advanced beyond that point, but you decide to put a blog up about it. Um, what are people's thoughts on that? All of us would agree that, learn. you know, it's kind of like what Eric said is just learning in public, learning in open forums. Uh, it, it allows people to help you out with, yeah, no, that's not exactly right. Or because like I said, the, the thing about data science is there are so many asterisks that we have to put after everything where it's like, yeah, no, use this all the time, except, and then there's like 18 accepts or use, this is going to be the best thing to, well, except for, and that, you know, I feel like that's, that's one of our biggest problems in data science is there's no absolute and everything changes so fast that you're wrong two months later, no matter how right you are right now. It's really hard to create fresh content. And, you know, and Harpreet kind of brought in a really good, a really good question. How do you know if you're in an echo chamber when it comes to content? Because that's, you know, and that's a big thing. If I say something and 4,000 people agree with me, am I right? I mean, that does not necessarily mean I'm right. It might just mean that I've got such a, a clustered network. We all think the same. You know, and so that's another good aspect to this question. So, you know, as as everybody's kind of chiming in, think about that echo chamber side of it, too. How do we figure out if we're in an echo chamber? How do we figure out, you know, if somebody is just reinforcing our own bad bias or bad opinion outside of, I mean, because you can't constantly be Googling the same thing over and over again to make sure that you're right and you're still right and you're still right. It's just not something that's sustainable from a learning path. So how do you find people that tell you you're an idiot? Because I have had that problem throughout my career is the people that I value the most are the ones who will stop me every once in a while and go, you just said something and here's why it's stupid, but it's so hard to find those people. So how do you find someone calls who will call you an idiot? And also, you know, obviously Eric, go ahead. What you were also going to say, but more importantly, how do I find someone that'll call me an idiot? Um, show them you're an idiot. Uh, is one way to do it. Um, so, like, uh, when so I was, this kind of goes between what Gina was saying and then uh, then what you're saying as well. In that, one of my like very like early posts when I first started my master's, I shared a screenshot of my terrible code. I had a model that had like literally dozens of interaction terms, um, but only like a hundred rows of data. And that was it. And so like, I didn't understand what was going on and I ended up with a horrid, horrid metrics. Um, and, uh, and I, I posted that, like, I, I just shared, it was like, I think I made the worst regression model of all time. And I even had some little comments in there showing that it was, that it was awful. And I got so much helpful input from that. People were like, oh, curse of dimensionality. And I'm like, I've never even heard that phrase before. Why don't you tell me something about it? So they're like dropping things in from Wikipedia on there and um, lots of good stuff. Uh, really, like a lot of it was like way over my head, but that's okay. Um, because it also created interesting conversation for other people um, to talk to talk with one another about, you know, oh, well, you shouldn't use Ridge or you should use Lasso or whatever, you know, just like it created these things that it, while it was over my head, it was creating this little moment of community that just happened to be around something that I had posted. And so if other people do that, then that's cool. Um, and I think I think that that's it's okay, like like I said, to like show people that I'm an idiot sometimes. But yeah, creating a creating 
an op, a space and a, a place where people feel uh, like it's appropriate and they feel so inclined as to tell you like, hey, that was wrong. Um, and, and like I said earlier, sometimes LinkedIn might not be where you're going to get that feedback that you want slash need. And so maybe take it to Stack Overflow or something. But I don't think that anything, Gina, to your original thing, I don't think anything is necessarily too simple to share if it's meaningful to you. If it's meaningful to you, then like put it out there because uh, it's that's fine. You know, that's who you are and that's where you are right now. Awesome. All right, Kostub. And then we're going to move on to something about principal component analysis for Naresh and then get back into, we can probably pull back into this conversation unless we've got other questions. So if you do have questions, throw it in the chat. We've got one more about creator mode, which I can definitely speak to as um, interesting. So we'll talk about creator mode after this, but yeah, Kostub, let's go. So this is a pretty complex sociological issue, right? Is the and, and this is something that I was reading about in the last week is one thing that stops us from growing is fear, right? And, and it's a mixture of fear and ego. And it's a really interesting interplay there. One is we're afraid that other people are going to see us as morons, right? And the second thing is, we're afraid that we're going to realize that we're not that good, that we don't measure up, right? Now, that's quite a difficult thing to contend with. You have to swallow your pride significantly in order to grow in any field because in order to see that potential for growth, you have to see the lack of fulfillment of capacity, right? Uh, essentially, that's what it comes down to, right? And and how do you deal with that in an online massively multiplayer kind of space, right? Um, it's not fun. I mean, and part of the internet is this weird guise of anonymity, right? You see it less on LinkedIn because there's just more people there. But what I find is LinkedIn tends to be hyper supportive with very little, um, you know, very, very little counter arguments, right? Whereas you go to the other side of the spectrum, you go to like Stack Overflow sometimes, and you see some seriously... Uh, aggressive responses to the point that newbies are probably not going to be keen on asking questions, right? Uh, like you've got these two, two weird worlds where either people are super nice to you because they're not anonymous or it's a pain because they just don't want to really give you constructive criticism. So there's some few absolute gold star members on, on Stack Overflow that really know how to, uh, you know, respond to people. And part of the thing is knowing how to communicate in channels. Like how do you structure a stack overflow question that's not just going to come back with, please ask the question correctly. And that's it. Right. Um, so there's a lot of that to be done. So one thing that I, th I think, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but me being a musician, I was always surrounded by other musicians that were better than me. Right. So two things inevitably happened. One is uh, I ended up asking people in person and learning from them in person, watching how they do things, right? And then learning that habit of being your own worst critic, right? And I think one of the funny factors is within the data science field, we're still in a very fire and forget kind of manner, at least in your early stages, right? Where you work on a little project, you take a small atomic piece of data, bit of code, you create a model, boom, excellent, medium article, GitHub, whatever, move on, next thing, new repository, fresh article, fresh problem, fresh data set, right? We don't sit in that area long enough 
to come back to the code and say, ooh, hang on, that was crap, right? Like I found that as I spend time in a code base, a larger code base for like six months to a year, I find that me from the past was a complete moron and me from the now is looking at me from the past code six months ago going, why the hell did you do that? right? You should be doing this, this, and this. So you can be your own best taskmaster. It's a slow way to improve, but uh, it's it's the only constant that you can rely on. You can't always rely on other people calling you out to be an idiot. You can rely on yourself calling yourself out to be an idiot. Um, but part of the thing is, I think, and maybe this is the whole COVID situation that's got people to be more digitally interactive, but I find that just having in-person interactions is way more useful. Like uh, I would much rather try and get someone's time for 20 minutes, go to a meetup group, go to, a, uh, you know, there's dozens of meetup groups. There's dozens of universities that just do, I was at a, um, I was at a talk the other day at, at Queensland University of Technology and they were just presenting PhD papers. And afterwards we were just mingling. And I just throw a couple of zany questions at them about stuff that I'd worked on. And you just get, uh, interesting responses that kind of guide you in the right direction, right? So developing those personal connections that you can eventually go and ask, hey, can I get 15 minutes of your time? I need to run something by you, right? That is probably more worthwhile because they're going to treat you and respond to you as a human being, which is going to be that combination of honesty but not brutality, right? Um, well, we're losing that a little bit in the in the fully digital space, I think. I think, in, you know, Mark jumped in on this. You can get, you can get trolled hard and it's almost like it doesn't matter what platform you can get, you know, web assault with a deadly comment in seconds. And some of them are fairly benign, you know, where it's like, okay, good burn. All right. Yeah, no, you got me. That was a dumb thing that I did. But every once in a while, it's like, whoa, come on, man. Put the blowtorch down. Stop that. But I don't know how you, you know, it's not like you can delete everyone's account because we've all at one point or another turned the blowtorch on. It just like it was that day or it was that comment and we lit it up. You know, we, we felt like we were channeling our inner Elon Musk and we were it was like, no, I'm, I'm firing this up today. But that's and I think that's just kind of a human thing. But some people, wow, just way too far and it's on every platform I, I wish there was a you know if there was a way to fix this problem I, I think we'd be billionaires if we could stop stop people from being mean to other people especially in technology and it, it, yeah it, you know and that Ben you just kind of nailed it in the comments like you can get jumped for something that you it, it wasn't that bad I didn't say anything. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, uh, no, I think we've all been there too, where you say something and just uh, like I said something about entrepreneurship and someone else commented that I said everyone should become an entrepreneur. I'm all, what? No, I didn't. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? And so, yeah, I, I think there's something to that where we need to make it safer for people early in their career, but also like I want to answer your questions on Stack Overflow. I, I just, I won't, I don't like the abuse, so I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I'll do it on other platforms, but Stack is evil, just absolutely evil. All right, Mark, jump in on credible sources, getting jumped online <laughs> in the comments. Um, you know, we got a range of topics here. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I love love jumping into this. So first of all, I like to say I love my haters because it tells me that I've created content that's reached outside my normal group, my normal kind of like bubble that always agrees with me. And so typically I only get people who really dissent like that hard on my content is when I reach a wider audience. So for me, I'm like, yes, I found someone who doesn't like me. <laughs> Great. Um, you know, now there's people who can take it to extreme and that's not, not so much fun. And so I think one key thing is, you know, maybe not everyone gets this level, but when you're into content creation, a key component is building your community and driving the values of your community. So a lot of times in my content and my comments, where it is, I'm saying like, Hey, this is a space to learn. You know, if you're going to be coming here, be respectful. I'm going to call you out and block you. And so other people uphold those values if they follow you long enough. And they'll start policing for you without you have to say anything. And so I've seen that like on, on Greg's post sometimes um, or even my post where people are like un, unruly mean <laughs> for no reason. Um, and I'm like, yo, dude, I'm just trying to learn. Like, of course, I'm not an expert. Like you, you could easily just share your expertise and being a hero. But now you're just being kind of an ass. Um, now, on the flip side you know, I've, I've been on the other side where I haven't built that community yet. So recently I went on Twitter because I'm trying to build up my web three, um, web three presence on there. And within the first week of like a engineering legend decided to, to retweet me and just roast me as like a trial by fire. Um, and I just had a whole gang of people tell me how dumb I am and how I'm some shill for Web3. And I'm like, I don't even know y'all. Like I, I just came on Twitter and I'm from LinkedIn. Everyone's nice here, what's happening? And the thing is, I didn't have my community defend me. Only, I only have 200 followers there. No one's, I'm all by myself in the alleyway. So um, I think a key thing is like one stick through it. Everyone forgot that instance already. Yeah? Like all, all those people thought I'm an idiot. They probably still think I'm an idiot, but now I just never see them. And if you just keep on building, you'll create a community that's really going to ride for you. And, um, you know, those are people you want to build for, and you can instill those values that can help you out. That's totally true. Like It's almost like you need, you need a, a, a security detail before you start saying things on Twitter or on Reddit or Stack Overflow or, Okay, so pretty much everywhere online, everywhere on social media that you could, you, you do, you need some defenders. And I think, you know, and I've had this happen before where people say, hey, I'm getting jumped. Could you like, you mind jumping in here? You, you know, and don't be afraid to do that online, like to reach out to people, because I've had to do it myself where I can't moderate everything. And I've got a comment in one of my posts where I don't know if that's offensive. I, you know, because not much offends me. I'm I'm getting old, so it's hard to offend me in the way that you know makes sense to other people as offensive. So, and I think that's one of the problems is just age differences, perspective differences, cultural differences. Sometimes I don't know what's offensive, and you know it's good to not only have that for you know defense of yourself but also for somebody to tell you, Hey, that comment, you need to get in there and you need to say something about that person because sometimes I don't even see a troll. So quick, quick note on that real fast is that's why I think setting your values is so important because then you can have that kind of clear litmus test of like, did this cross my values for the community I'm building? And so for me, mine is vulnerability and openness to make mistakes to learn. 
And so if someone's going to rag on someone making a mistake, that crosses that value and I call them out. And that goes back to my community, tell them like, oh, Mark's going to call that out. So it's okay for me to still be vulnerable when I'm still trying to learn this space. Um, as for other stuff, you know, where I, I'm, I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, you know, where I'm kind of indifferent on, you know, I'll stay silent. As long as they're not like overly like crazy racist or sexist or something like that. Right. I obviously got to call that out, but you know, I'll let people be and, and, and express how they want. But I think it's this very, if you're a content creator, really think about the values that you want for your community and really stick to them and exhibit that to your community. All right, Greg. Yeah, I think I think somebody said something here that reminds I think what you were describing, Ven, that was me the other day. So I posted this, uh, shared this book the other day that had something in there that triggered a troll. And the guy called me a racist. Like, literally, Greg is a racist. And I was like, should I feel offended or should I be mad? What What is this guy talking about? I, I was also confused and I was like, should I block that guy right away and delete his post? Well, okay, I need some help. So Vin was one of those I pulled like and say, hey, take a look at this one for me. Yeah, reverse racism. <laughs> so and then I pulled Vin. Vin just ran with that guy. Like, I don't know if you guys uh, remember, like, it is this cloud uh, engineering book that I was sharing that, you know, Red Hat was promoting and things like that. And then there was just, just one page that's like usually left blank and very little in the middle of the page. I swear to God, I, I, I skipped it. I never saw it, but that guy saw it. Very little in that blank page where, you know, typically books have this break, intentionally leaving a page blank. It says Black Lives Matter. And then the guy caught it. And it triggered that dude into the next level troll I've never seen before. And the next thing you know, Greg is a racist. Without even knowing, like, without even taking time to realize, like, I, I, I don't know. That's I don't know how he got there. I didn't see it in the first place. So <laughs> um, if you go back to that post, you'll see like conversation between myself, him, Ben, and uh, Tom about like us trying to convince him that he's just like short-sighted and, and, and small-minded. And at the end of the day, you know, when you encounter people like that, it's either you agree to, you know, uh, not fight too much convincing them that their way of thinking is small um, or you just use it as a learning. But at the end of the day too, uh, you're hoping that your point of view comes across somehow and over time that person changes. Uh, but it's, uh, it's amazing to see those shows. I haven't been across these uh, um, in a while. And in terms of content creation, I know you guys uh, uh, have said a lot about this one. I mean, to me, you know, what I consider good is those with intention of learning, right? So leaving space to learn and uh, the bad ones are the ones who don't leave space to learn and uh, consider their statement as the one and only uh, and or don't make an effort to provide something that that really helps people grow. Uh, things like, I don't know, I have I have trigger posts uh, that I read from people that I expect more from, like things like, um, if you don't do this, then you're an idiot type post uh, really trigger me. Like, tell me something that's insightful. Don't just state something um, and don't put a, you know, you're not putting an effort into it to make me think, make me, uh, um, you know, really reflect on it and, and learn something new. But, you know, it's definitely a special place out there. Uh, LinkedIn is definitely more uh, gentle with people, which also makes me question 
that, you know, just because I'm getting love on my post doesn't mean I'm saying the things that are right. I need to see somebody disagreeing with me from time to time. And this makes me, you know, this keeps me grounded and open to learning something new and learning that I, I messed up because I will mess up sometimes. So, uh, and hopefully, uh, Mark, the way you had it on uh, uh, Twitter, uh, I don't know if I have the the guts for it, but, you know, I'm pretty sure it's coming because I've been trying to be a little bit more present on, on Twitter too, but I haven't quite figured it out yet. So it's one of those that I signed on for it back in 2012 or something. And I never was active until like recently, never wanted to post anything. So it's like I walked into a meetup and actually ended up into a bar fight. That's, that's Twitter <laughs> for me. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I saw Gina's hand up. Uh, Gina, did you want to jump yeah. in on? Well, um, yeah, thanks. I mean, I haven't yet started putting out content the way others here have. Um, I'm going to be doing more of it. And of course, these comments about, you know, I mean, I suppose the trolls are always going to come. I've been in some discussions just over various platforms where, you know, people express some idea and I try to give a counterpoint. And sometimes people respond back. I mean, for one, I always try to be respectful. Uh, I try my very best to be respectful. Um, you know, I might be thinking <laughs> something a little different, but I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. But sometimes, you know, sometimes people come back and say, yeah, you know, that's actually a really good point. Other times people have come back, like basically attacking me or kind of twisting the words around. And then at that point, I'm like, look, I took my time. I took time to respond to you in a thoughtful way. And this is what you're coming back at me with. You're attacking me. You're twisting my words. Well, so thing is, I don't have time for that. If you're not going to discuss something in good faith, if you don't actually have a good idea, if you don't actually have a well-reasoned argument, then I'm not going to waste my time. So goodbye. And I definitely hold to that. I will not respond boom, mic drop, that's it. Um, So that's one thing I found kind of effective. And then another thing that can be effective is if people are kind of going on and on about a topic, if there's some piece that you can hold on to, and there's an example I'm thinking of that it's just too convoluted, I won't go into, but if there's some simple piece where it's like nobody can disagree on this then you you can keep coming back and saying yes but this i don't know freedom of speech people think they have freedom of speech anywhere and everywhere like no you don't if you look at the constitution if you look at the history it actually only applies on like you know public streets or if if you're in a private parking lot and the owners of that shopping center don't want you there you don't have a right to be there and do whatever you want and if you kind of can keep sometimes things focused in that way i think that can help uh, because then what can they say they can't really argue with it although i've had people say wait that's a private parking lot it's like yeah constant freedom of speech first amendment doesn't apply there come on so um those are my two thoughts that i have I got to throw some, some of these comments that are coming in. Um, we got a recommendation on Sandworm as a book by Auntie. 
we got Jeremy came in with, we need to advocate for kindness. I just think in one line, that's about the best way that you can say it. Obviously not everybody listens to the advocacy, but I think advocating for kindness, it's a great, absolutely great comment. Um, it, you know, and I think, I think some of us have, have gotten this in different levels and Ben, I don't know if I know you've seen like the level 10 trolling before you've, you've had some people come at you very publicly before in the past. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but I mean, how do you handle oh, yeah. like, you know, I've had somebody from IBM take a, a pretty good run at me at conference before, but that's, I'd say that's an eight and that's tough to handle. But I mean, how do, how do you handle it when, you know, it's in public and you have no, like, there's nowhere to run at that point. So we, we, um, some of the most public trolling I've had is when I was at higher view, uh, we had some people tweeting at higher view, tagging us saying that we're all racist. And it was this guy from, I, I still hate this guy. He's a professor at Purdue. He's the Twitter guy, random, un, random underscore Walker. So he was tweeting white papers at me and my data science team saying, you guys are racist. You guys need to read this. And we read the white papers who's tweeting us and they were so outdated. Like, like, like it'd be one thing for him to send us a white paper and for us to be like, damn, like we haven't thought of that, but it would, we were so, so much more advanced. And I think you do want to listen to criticism. The thing I learned in the higher view days is if you jump into these emotional fights, it doesn't matter what you say. There's no rational argument to win. So for some people that dive into those Twitter threads, they already hate you. They don't know anything about you. They've already decided that they hate you and you are an idiot. And you could have the most elegant, rational argument you could imagine. They've already made up their mind. And I think when people are emotional, it's... And so I, I learned to just avoid those. So rather than even engaging... Um, which is unfortunate because you would love to have rational dialogue online. It's not going to happen in a Twitter thread. I, I wish it did, but that, that, that's what I learned. Um, I, I think there was a comment on the side. I did have someone calling me every post I did for like six months, he would respond and call me an idiot. And it didn't matter like what the post was about. And I thought, I think we think, you know, especially Ben and others, like we've been here for a while we should have an esteem that is, you know, that can, it doesn't need to be rock solid, but I, I kind of felt like, ah, I've got thick skin. I worked at a hedge fund. I ran a data science team. I have patents and shit and I, I should be able to have confidence, but I noticed it was wearing on me. And when I finally blocked the person, I, I had that sigh of relief. And so I, I think that's something that everyone should be asking is your life is too short to have anyone pull you down emotionally and, if it happens a few times, I, I guess that's the balance. The last thing I'll say is there is a balance. You do want criticism. So if someone comments and says something critical of your post, you don't want to just hurry and block them and ignore it. You do want to take in that criticism. But if you notice that this person's always negative and a lot of these people are, they you look at all their posts, all of their posts are negative. Um, you're both better off to block them and they will no longer see you. I think that's a great point where you said blocking people is sometimes like the best thing that you can do for them too. Like yeah. the, the, you obviously said something that frustrated them that they hated. And, and when you block them, you no longer exist to each other, which is a beautiful thing. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, you're right. There's that line, obviously you want critics. And, you know, like I said earlier, I want some people to call me an idiot, but at the same time, at some point it stops being constructive. Yeah. And it, it, and one of the things too, that's a good reminder for me, I, I have, hopefully I haven't said vicious things, but I have been tempted to cut people off at the knees before. And I'm so grateful that I've hesitated because they're, you know, they're, especially like you see people with like an open twerk tag and gratefully I've never done this because I've had some assholes say something. So it's so tempting to say like, who's got the open to work tag on asshole. And so I guess a recommendation for everyone here is when you feel like you're about to keyboard warrior and destroy someone, don't. I, I don't know if you relate to that, Vin, you're like, oh, I know the exact thing to say to just cut this person in half. And I'm so grateful. I did. I think that's, you know, that's something that I got lucky when I was starting to get a following and a, a reputation that I had some people explain to me, like, you can't say the things now that you used to be able to say, because it used to be like you and the person you were talking to were on the same. But now you can be talking to somebody who is just starting out, just trying to build out their reputation and, you know, they're taking something personally because we all do at some point. We all take some criticism personally at some point. And if I say something, I might have like an armada of people all of a sudden jump that person for, you know, and I don't want them to do that. So I think especially since a lot of us are creators and starting to get large, large followings, just be really careful of what you say, because, you know, just like Ben said, you can you can hurt someone to the point where like they're crying over a post and that's just oh. kind of messed up. So Vin, I will intentionally hurt some types of people on LinkedIn. I've had a lot of fun doing this and it's around sexual harassment. So oh, I've yeah. done this twice where some, um, some poor woman on LinkedIn will send me a clip of what some asshole said to her in a private message. These are awful things. And I've done this twice and I love doing this. I will post it and I will tag that person. And one time they deleted their LinkedIn and these are awful things. Like I, I do not feel bad. I will lose no sleep over this, but so there are some times that I am brutal and I, I never get tired of this. So if anyone ever hears of sexual harassment, send me, send it my way. I will tag them. And it is hilarious to see the comments that come. And I think that's, you know, something that I've brought up with people who are really hesitant to bring up the fact that they were harassed in any way, shape or form is that you don't necessarily have to tell people to publicly acknowledge it. But I've had colleagues in the past reach out to me and say, Hey, this person that you're connected with, that you've been, you know, that you've been interacting with, here's what they've done at conference, or here's what they've done in my comments. I don't want you to use my name. I don't want you to even, you know, mention me and this person, I don't want you to go after this person. But what we end up being able to do is when someone comes to me for advice and says, Hey, I'm thinking about doing an internship here, I can say, well, you know, there are some other considerations that you might want to, you know, and I can say it without saying it. And so that someone can read between the lines. And a lot of us can steer people away from having a career working as a research assistant under somebody who's just terrible, you know, a toxic person or 
you know, so you can steer people sideways. And that's just something that I also want to bring out is if you don't want to go public, don't feel like you have to, because that's a scary experience. But if you tell people you trust, you know, and just tell us, don't say anything, we won't, but we can save other people from going through the same experience without ever calling you out or having it be made public. So that's another way that people can help in that position. Kostip, go ahead. Uh, I've actually been, I mean, I've seen situations where that's come into play so elegantly where, uh, you know, just having the right conversations with the right people at the right time pushes you away from what could be a, a cliff that you never saw coming, right? Um, so having those open private conversations, and this kind of brings me back to what I was saying before, right? Uh, why are we trying to deal with everything in the public light? You know, having those personal conversations often are far more productive and useful than having, you know, big big posts on LinkedIn and, and, and on Twitter and Reddit and stuff that's super public, right? Because you're either going to swing one way or the other with that stuff. Um, so that's part of it. But the other thing that I just wanted to kind of latch on to was you said um, back in the day, people are always kind of at the same level, but now it, you could kind of be dealing with people at any kind of level, right? That's that's so spot on, right? So I used to do a lot of, um, uh, I used to do a lot of sports kind of posts on my Facebook, on my personal Facebook, right? And this was at a time when most of the people on my Facebook were just high school friends and stuff like that. I was absolutely obsessed with cricket. Sue me, I'm Indian, right? Like, and I'm Australian at the same. So come on, right? So I had this weird, weird nexus of Indian fans and Australian fans on my Facebook. And it was like battle royale from time to time on my posts, right? Like you'd see the most crazy, crazy discussions and it got quite personal very fast, right? And, and then it's a very charged situation, you know? India, Australia is not, like for people who don't know the cricketing world, India, Australia is right up there, right? Like in terms of uh, sporting rivalries, right? So this is like Lewis Hamilton versus, you know, Max Verstappen kind of stuff for people who know Formula One a bit more. Um, but essentially, like, what I realized is I started interacting more near the end of high school, early university, when I started looking at LinkedIn a little bit more, is that that wider spread of who you're dealing with kind of made me naturally aware of, hang on, there are different ways to interact. You kind of move out of that schoolboy kind of sense, right? And I was at a time when Facebook was still very much within your generation. Now, Facebook is also quite wide in terms of who most people have in their networks, right? Um, generally, generationally speaking. So um, there's that whole gap between you, you get to a point where you kind of realize, okay, you know what? I'm not really interested in those conversations anymore. So I found myself, uh, you know, tapering off the whole Facebook cricket posts thing. I, I did a bit of freelance journalism where I actually write a couple of articles uh, on, on the sport as opposed to, you know, an open field like a Facebook post. Um and you still see it. You see it on Instagram threads. You see it on Facebook. It's just people just get so worked up on it. And I'm just at a point with the sport where I'm like, uh, you know what? I love the sport. I'm just not interested in engaging with people's opinions on who's the best batsman or bowler. It doesn't matter to me, right? It just doesn't matter to me. So there's this total difference between topics like that versus technical topics like, okay, hey, I'm doing this in a particular way for this 
kind of interaction and then getting flamed over it. Oh, why, why would you do that? You're a moron for using, you know, uh, this, I don't know, name a technique, right? You're a moron for using a canny edge detector instead of, I don't know, a half transform. Great. Excellent. Um, you don't see, it's very obvious when that happens in a technical space that it's like, this is kind of pointless. Um, and, and I kind of agree. Like if, if there's no actual substance, like what Gina was saying, if there's no substance to a comment, if they're not actually trying to add value to it, walk away, just be happy to walk away. And then one thing that I, I struggled with and I still struggle with is having the last word in the, in that conversation. It's so tempting to just be the comment that ends it. Right. And, and having grown up in that Facebook generation of high school Facebook, right. It's like, that's just almost what we were trained socially to do, right? Is to gather likes to your comment being the last one to close the post. Doesn't make sense, right? If, if there's, like, I try to sometimes if I get into those more uh, heated discussions, especially on LinkedIn, and often it's about philosophy or something like that, um, I try to eke out what someone's trying to say. Even if they're a bit pissed off of what I've said, what are you trying to say? What's your fundamental belief? If I can bring that out, we can potentially, I can withstand a bit of a beating in order to get a, a productive conversation from people who are thinking totally differently. That's worthwhile to me. But if after a couple of, uh, you know, after a couple of comments, it's clear that they don't really want to engage in that discussion and they just kind of want to attack, just walk away. It's not worth it. Yeah, I got to, Greg, I got to ask you this because you're, I mean, my following was like, I built it over forever because, well, I'm old. And because when I started out, social media wasn't like this thing where there were technical influencers that that wasn't a thing in 2014, 2015. And it sort of became a thing, but you got into it a lot later and your following like exploded. You, I mean, you grew faster than I think I've seen anybody else do it. You just, I mean, it was like your content was great. Your, your personality was there too. You know, it was kind of, it, it was kind of impressive. I'll be honest. So, I mean, what did you notice like the crossover from, you know, being starting out in social media to bang your, you know, you're now a bigger name. Um, so there are a couple of things, and I'll, I'll be frank, right? So before, um, when I, when I first started tinkering with it, I, it was like late 2019, late 2019, uh, I realized, okay, a lot of people are talking about data. It's become a big conversation and, uh, Tableau became a thing, Power BI, et cetera, AI, ML. At this point, I've already started hearing about how ML, you know, was integrated with Power BI and you could build dashboards so fast, um, build data pipelines so fast and generate insights. Um, and then there's this Python thing I'm start I started hearing. So I started, you know, taking some classes and then sharing some posts about, hey, I, I, I reached a milestone. Hey, I, I did this little project in Python, blah, blah, blah. Very basic stuff with very little um, uh, engagement. So in my mind, I just said, okay, it doesn't matter. I'm committed to posting uh, very uh, often or consistently. 
Um, but then when I knew I was onboarding the joining the company I'm working for now, um, I knew it was going to be a psychological effect to it. So I knew that I had a responsibility now that if I say things psychologically, people will associate that with, oh, this is the good stuff coming. So which means it was something that I put pressure that gave put pressure on me to be cautious about what I talk about, but also be open to making mistakes, of course. But I think that the psychology of it really helped because I went from, you know, joining the company I work for that I'm not naming in February to 2020 to by the by November I grew from 2000 to 25 and then once I got the nomination like the top voice I added another 50 to 100 after it the following year which is in 2021 so with all of that I think the psychological effect happened really in 2021 it wasn't anything that I've done and, and I'm speaking from my experience from because I can understand it either uh, but I, I can tell you the key thing that helped me was consistency, the psychological effect of, oh, somebody from this company is talking, I better listen. Those things helped. And then also the subject that I chose to talk about were the eight subjects at the time. So 2019, 2020, you know, it was a lot of this discussion and also an increase in activity in online. 2020, everybody stayed home. What are we doing with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are a lot of like things that triggered it because in 2021, the growth continued to happen. At the end of 2021, I started seeing it kind of like slow down a little bit, right? Because there's an adjustment that happens either with the system, either with the way, you know, other people also come in and the conversation about AI is different now. We're trying to look post AI you know, at the end of the day, next year, AI may not be sexy anymore. I mean, there are some, there are some, there are different factors that came together during that time that really helped me, uh, but I don't know how to reproduce that. So. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how the different generations kind of interacted with social media and how social media interacted with us. Um, I'm going to, we got about 15 more minutes. I know we're 15 over here. So I'm going to kind of put a hard line in about 15 minutes, but I, we got two questions that are kind of open along the same lines. And Naresh, I apologize if you've got it, if you can make your question about PCA a little bit more specific, we can, we can try to jump into it. Uh, so if you could throw that in the comments, that'd be awesome. But number one, creator mode. Like how, what is creator mode? Is creator mode, you know, done anything for you? Do you like it, hate it, whatever? But the, the other side of it also is how do you balance your time? How do you have a job, a life, and, you know, constantly be creating stuff on social media? And I can say for myself, like I time box everything. I've gotten really good at, you know, spending five minutes on social media in between, like I'll claim back five minutes of my life. If I'm in between meetings, you'll see me on social media, like at the end of an hour or at the half hour, because I have five minutes that I like clawed back from a meeting or something like that. And I'll be able to jump on and do some responses. I'll time box how much time I have to write content and posts. I'll try to do a lot of that on the weekends. You know, time like this is just, I'll be honest, it's fun. I like decompressing on a Friday and this is just an awesome way to do it. 
So this is almost like therapy. I'll be completely honest. And uh, as far as creator mode goes, I have no idea. Like, I don't get it. I, I, I know it does something. I just don't know what that something really is. And it's not LinkedIn's fault. I mean, somebody reached out to me way back when who was a product manager at LinkedIn. And she tried to work me through it and help me understand. And I just, I mean, I don't, I, I didn't get it. So it's not, you know, it's not creator mode's fault. It's just, maybe I'm old. Maybe I, uh, you know, maybe it's not my audience. Maybe it's just not aligned with me or something like that. So I'm not dumping on it. I'm just saying, I don't get it. And it doesn't seem to do anything for me, but I want to hear like Ben, Mark, Greg, you know, Eric, definitely want to hear this from you too. How do you balance, you know, and I'll, let's start with Greg, but how do you balance your, you know, cause you create a lot of content. Yeah. Um, I get, I get bad sleep too. <laughs> um, so, uh, for me, you know, it's, I, I've made peace with the fact that we all have 24 hours. Um, so the only element that I have is work with intent or go through your day with intent because 24 hours is available to all of us. We cannot change that, right? That's the only thing that we cannot change. Only thing that we can change is what we do about our time. I'm not the perfect one. I'm not the perfect one who goes through a 24 hour uh, day and say, man, I use that so effectively. I'm still having some rooms to uh, uh, um, improve for sure. But for me, typically, is the trigger of commitment. And this is more of a mental model or a mental adjustment than anything else. It's kind of like committing to losing weight or looking buff by summer kind of thing. Once I do this mental check that this is the route I want to go, I keep pushing and I make time for it as I go. So, for example, uh, for posting on LinkedIn, I know there are certain times where I get more views. So I kind of make time around my schedule, my work schedule to put something out. So the day prior, I may have the content already prepared. And then, you know, maybe at night and then the day of posting, I just pay, copy paste and which reduces it to something like a short 15 minute break that I was taking at work, which is acceptable because inside of a work day, I'm pretty sure employers are not expecting people to be fully, uh, you know, vested for like, you know, the whole eight hours, right? You take short breaks in, in, inside of that, that day. And I do take a lot of short breaks to deal with, you know, some disconnection and making sure I get things done. Then, you know, uh, for, for the other ones, like, you know, making sure I have time for my family and things like that. Again, it's about working with intention, right? My intention is to make sure I am present in my kid's life. So I make time for it. So I know around 8 PM, this is where they're starting to go back, go to bed. I take no meeting. Do not call me. I am with them spending that time, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's that mental commitment that really helps me go through just about anything, knowing that 24 hours is available to us all. And when I observe other people who do 10 times more than I do, I'm amazed at that. And then I ask myself, how do they do it? Knowing that they have 24 hours just like me. And the only element that's missing for me is the commitment piece. Commitment comes with, you know, learning how to manage your time and working with intent and then moving forward. Yeah, ben, let's go to you next. And then Mark right after you. And then Eric, 
Eric, you're gonna get the last word. I I like what Kate Strachney told me that she never she doesn't gamify anything. She will post it one in the one a.m. on Saturday or Sunday at six, and she'll even cannibalize her own posts. So if she if she has an idea, even though she posted five minutes ago, it's going to come out. So I try to take that attitude, even just being on this. All of us could have posted three times because we've learned something. We've heard something that's changed our perspective. So I only do text only posts now. They're just with my phone and they're normally in the moment during a meeting. I'm thinking something. I have an epiphany. I'll just post it and send it out there. I used to write long form blogs and that was too much work or not enough impact. So that's how I think about it now. I just just streaming thoughts, just text only. And they're very quick. So. Uh, for, for me, um, I'm, I'm with Greg, I, I have to time block things. Um, so, you know, when I'm, I'm doing really well, I, I will typically wake up at five and then work on side hustle from five to nine and then nine, uh, nine to five work on my day job. And then from five to whenever just hang out with my family. Um, that's when things are going great. And I might have like a good week or a good month and that schedule I, I, I do really well with like I'm bed by 10, do all that. Right. When I'm not doing well, <laughs> I start shifting. The, the schedule shifts. The side hustle happens after work and I stay up later. And then, you know, everything kind of falls. I have to reset. And so for me, it's like going slow to help you move fast. And for me, I've realized sleeping is so key for me being successful. So that's why I got order ring now to track my sleep. Cause I'm like, this is the most important thing. It's like the foundation for all my habits. Because if I can go to bed by 10, and, you know, wake up by five. That's why I feel really great. You know, I can just crush it for, for the rest of the day and feel really charged um, and make the most out of my, my hours. And so it really comes down to prioritization um, for these things. So first and foremost, you know, prioritize my family. And so I have set times where um, I don't have kids. So I, me, my wife and my dog, I have set time for my wife nothing crosses that. <laughs> I will cancel things. I will move things around. That's the time I spend with my wife. Um, and so from there, you know, the other priority is like my day job. My day job is what pays the bills. And, you know, they are comfortable with me working on my side hustle because I execute and perform well. And so if I get that under control, then, and I'm performing well at my job, then all the other extra hours, I don't feel pressure anymore. I'm just building and having fun. And so for me, you know, I was telling you my ideal states, waking up at five. Reality is, you know, on my okay days, maybe not best days, I'm 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 starting it at around like seven, seven thirty. And that seven, seven to nine is when I feel like, all right, I'm gonna get the my my best ideas out. So I like to post on LinkedIn by 9 a.m. PST because it's before work um, for a lot of people on the West Coast and it's on lunch break for a lot of people on the East Coast. So I don't know if that works, but the mental logic makes sense to me. And so um, I always like to have like a solid post. Um, and for me, the posting is more so a reflection uh, about my career at the moment and what I'm currently learning and what I'm trying to achieve. And so essentially, you know, by me reflecting every single, it's like a diary almost, <laughs> me reflecting every single day, it makes me extraordinarily better at explaining my thoughts at my job or to potential customers or clients for my side hustle. Um, and also I workshop a lot of thoughts online. So if I'm working on a new idea, I'll post it, see what the feedback is and see what resonated and then go back to my job and all of a sudden crush it because I workshopped it with like a thousand people. <laughs> um, 
so that's how I kind of do my content. And now that I'm moving more towards like paid content um, and, and um, paid engagements, um, whether it's blogs or, or posts themselves, um, that's a lot of motivation to do great posts because you're getting paid uh, to do it. But more importantly, is because now you're getting paid, you want to deliver on those results. And so now you're really pushing to actually write really solid content um, to, to do that. And so it's not just like, hey, I'm just going to post them on my mind. I'm actually going to really think through you know, what's the copy I'm creating uh, for that. So that's how I kind of how I block my time. But here's the thing. This sounds like I got it figured out, but this crazy schedule. And honestly, like if I don't have my sleep down, it's all a mess and I, I don't do it at all. <laughs> but Eric, you got it. You're going to take the last word and then we're going to sign off and I'm going to figure out how to stop streaming. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be learning something here in, new, in a few seconds. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, from a content standpoint. so. I, yeah, I don't schedule anything. My posts are like when they post, I literally just click the post button and, uh, and I, I don't have anything wrong or any problems with scheduling stuff. I've definitely considered it. Um, but I also usually don't know what I'm going to post two posts away from what I'm posting. Uh, and so I, I have started trying to do more with the time boxing, um, try to do it like right at the end of my work day, because otherwise like, you know, it's like we've we've heard of people um, not having to commute because they're working remotely. Like your workday tends to get a little bit longer. My workday tends to get a little bit longer because I like my work. Um, and so like I'll, I'll continue working, but instead I'm trying to um, time box that at the end of the day with something that I really enjoy. Um, the other piece of it is I really value interaction. Um, and so I'm trying to make sure that I'm like commenting and a lot of times I'll comment before I even get around to posting. And sometimes I just won't feel like posting or like I have something really, you know, that I want to add to the world through a post, but I still want to comment and be a part of the community, build somebody else up or whatever, you know? Um, so I, I think that that's, it, I definitely have a little bit more of, I don't know, what is that like laissez-faire uh, or just, scattered um content creation uh, strategy or or lack thereof but i will definitely echo uh mark's sentiment about sleep there is a noticeable difference when i'm firing on all cylinders uh versus when i am just dragging on the floor um so i definitely want to like do that and do a good job with it keep up you know keep up and keep on the schedule because it's healthy but it's also like reality is you know, if I'm, if I'm there, like half days of the week, 75% of the days of the week, it's a good week. Otherwise it's a more realistic week. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I want to thank everybody, everybody for participating in this because it's been a great conversation. Um, we got two minutes. So if anybody's got a last thought on this and wants to jump in, please, by all means, you know, uh, last words before we sign off. You, it's going to be have to be like, you know, you're on the news where you got 30 seconds, last minute comment. Masterful host, Vin. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All I do is copy Harpreet. You know, I just <laughs> pretend, channel my inner. Your inner Harpreet. Yep. All right. Good, Looks like that's you, all everybody. we got. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate you coming. I've got nothing cool. Like Harpreet's got something cool to say at the end of the day, but I think that comment, practice kindness promote kindness. I think that's a wonderful way to end. So everybody, thank you for coming. Have a great weekend. And remember next week, our priest got his second year anniversary coming up for the artists of data science. Definitely show up, support him. 
and support him in his new job at Pachyderm. He's got a new role. He didn't get to pitch that one too hard, but uh, let's do that for him. And thank you, everybody. Else.